Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky made a sort of last minute, at least as far as it was announced, visit to Washington, D.C. yesterday, which included an address to Congress, a uh, an opportunity that not many foreign leaders get. And we will talk about that in a little bit. The speech that Zelensky delivered to Congress about the help that the U.S. has been providing to Ukraine in its defensive war due to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and Vladimir Putin was a good speech. It was a powerful speech. And also the entire event had a pretty weird feeling to it. And I think I know what the weirdness was. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Much fanfare. And we're going to get to all aspects of this, but a big standing ovation to kick it all off. And what we're watching here, if you're watching today rather than listening, is uh, Zelensky entering to much applause and a standing ovation and the greetings of so many different people. There's uh, Senator Patrick Leahy and you see Ch Charles Schumer, the senator uh, and all sorts of different people. Um, Zelensky wearing his typical green. I don't I don't know that I want to editorialize the shade of green, but it is not the best shade. Not that we really care about that. It's just a weird color. And here he greets uh, Vice President Kamala Harris and then the Speaker of the House, outgoing Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and he delivers a speech and many applause lines in the speech, including reminding the world and the United States that Ukraine is not out of this thing. Against, against all odds and doom and gloom scenarios, Ukraine didn't fall. Ukraine is alive and kicking. And uh, another standing ovation there. And of course, it is great that Ukraine has been able to resist what some characterized and handicapped as an easy win for Russia when this started months and months and closing in on a year ago. Uh, that is an absolutely great thing. We now get into the part that I believe was the element of weirdness, which is that there was a feeling of this, that it was sort of, OK, we're going to give you the money, new aid package around two billion, including Patriot missiles. We're going to do it, but you've got to come here and you've got to really thank us and you've got to act extremely solicitously towards us. And that was absolutely a big element of this speech. I'm glad to stress that President Biden supported our peace initiative today. Each of you, ladies and gentlemen, can assist in the implementation to ensure that right. Americans' leadership remains solid, bicameral, and bipartisan. Thank you. And of course, it is not actually completely bipartisan. And that's part of what's interesting about this. There are people there are Republicans who are sort of soft supporters of the U.S. helping Ukraine. And then there are people like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert who um, are flat out just against American help of Ukraine. And they sped into the House chamber at the last minute and sat there looking visibly bored never clapping as a deliberate show of how against this they are. 
uh, uh, Zelensky assuring and reminding everyone in the chamber that the money we are sending to Ukraine is not charity. It is part of uh, the goal, shared goal of global security and democracy. Financial financial assistance is also critically important. And I would like to thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for both financial packages you have already provided us with and the ones you may be willing to decide on. Your money is not charity. Right. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Financial, financial. Okay, and um, this ultimately led to uh, a Ukrainian flag actually uh, being unfurled on the floor of the house. Let this flag stay with you, ladies and gentlemen. This flag is a symbol of our victory in this war. We stand, we fight, and we will win because we are united. Ukraine, America and the entire free world. Okay, so now what's happening is Zelensky is unfurling a Ukrainian flag, which is now being held up by Nancy Pelosi um, and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And then similarly, you might see off to the right of the screen that there is an American flag in a triangle shape. And then that was handed to Zelensky and off he went with his American flag. And now this is the end of the speech and we see Zelensky leaving with his American flag that was handed to him. So listen, my, my feelings on this are very mixed. Of course, I support Ukraine. And of course, I believe that it is in the interests of the United States and our allies to beat back the invasion by Russia. Putin's a lunatic authoritarian. I mean, listen, I've got a decade of commentary on this. There is absolutely no question there. This entire visit extraordinarily heavy on the theatrics, which I, I feel repelled by the theatrics to a great degree because it is such a stage managed event. But public opinion, particularly global public public opinion, depends on exactly that stage management. And so while I personally find it off putting as someone who follows this stuff all the time, I have to be open to the idea that for people who are busy working in fields that are not political media, their opinion about what should happen may actually be shaped by events like this. And maybe they want to see Zelensky come and grovel a little bit. Maybe that's what they need in order to be OK with or to continue seeing support of Ukraine as a worthy cause. Now, the history of speeches like this to Congress during conflicts by world leaders of other countries, it's not the longest list in the world. And we know, of course, of Winston Churchill's address to Congress during World War II as the prime minister of the UK. We know about uh, Lech Walesa's address to Congress during the Cold War as president of Poland. 
We know about Nelson Mandela's address to Congress during the apartheid era. Mandela, the first president of South Africa. And we have uh, I, I may be missing a couple, but we have uh, Havel's address to Congress during the Velvet Revolution, the last, the last and final president of Czechoslovakia. How does this compare? How does the situation in Ukraine compare not only on the facts, but in terms of its relation to the United States? I don't know that I have that answer, and it may require looking back from some future point uh, to really fully understand that. But a powerful speech, heavy on theatrics, that I think was sort of determined to be necessary to continue justifying to some degree in the court of public opinion the support to Ukraine that the United States continues to give support, which I widely am in favor of while recognizing that those are dollars for what is effectively speaking a proxy war against Russia doesn't make it bad. Uh, in fact, it's the right side. This was a war of aggression by Russia, but much more complicated than any simple explanation under oath. Fox News propagandist Sean Hannity admits he doesn't believe Donald Trump's fraud claims about 2020. And yet he widely promoted them and hosted guests uncritically who also promoted those very same sorts of claims. A very interesting article from The New York Times in testimony. Hannity and other Fox employees said they doubted Trump's fraud claims. Wednesday, lawyers for Dominion Voting Systems shared some of the strongest evidence yet that some Fox employees knew what they broadcast about the claims was false. The article is by Jeremy Peters. We will link to it in the description to the YouTube video. November 30th, Sean of 2020, Sean Hannity hosted Sidney Powell on his show. As she had in many other interviews, Fox and elsewhere, she spun wild conspiracy theories about what she said was corruption all across the country in countless districts in a plot to steal reelection from the president, Donald Trump. At the center of the plot were machines from Dominion voting systems, which Powell claimed ran an algorithm. Sometimes they called it a logarithm that switched votes from Trump to Biden. Hannity interrupted her with a gentle question that had been circulating uh, among election deniers, despite a lack of supporting proof. Why were Democrats silencing whistleblowers who could prove the fraud? Did Hannity believe any of this? Quote, I did not believe it for one second. Now, if you watched Hannity's TV show, you wouldn't have heard him say that Hannity gave that answer under oath in a deposition in Dominion's one point six billion dollar defamation lawsuit against Fox News, according to info disclosed yesterday. Hannity's disclosure, along with others that emerged about what Fox News executives and hosts really believed, became one of the loudest megaphones for lies as their network became one of the loudest megaphones for lies about the election. This is the strongest evidence yet that Fox employees knew what they were broadcasting was false. This is not a shock. This is not a shock. Hannity is an amoral propagandist profiteer. No doubt about it. But he is not so stupid that he believed this nonsense. And in fact, the totality of the text messages that we now know Sean Hannity sent to people like Mark Meadows and others and this deposition under oath tells us they were knowingly spreading misinformation. It doesn't make it any better. OK, if you thought Hannity was that stupid, he's not that stupid. 
but it tells us he knew he was spreading lies. It's almost an even worse case for them. They weren't just gullible idiots. They were knowingly spreading lies and disinformation. And of course, we know that when push comes to shove, they go for it's not news, it's entertainment. Tucker Carlson, uh, Fox News lawyer said Tucker Carlson is an entertainer. It's not news. The things he says are laced with hyperbole and exaggeration and titillating language. They're not to believe be believed literally. But in reality, it's not even really entertainment because it's not entertaining. It's sort of BS and lies. It's a BS factory that they pump out, not just for profit. Yes, profit is part of it, but it's also to maintain access to people in power. Hannity, we now know, had a relationship with Trump to the extent that Trump has friends. And for Trump, a friend means someone who's useful to me until they turn against me. Okay, fine. But that's the definition. Hannity would hang out with Trump. He would be on uh, with Trump's plane and all this different stuff. It was to maintain access as much as it was for profitability. Now, in a well-functioning, educated democracy where people are uh, educated in media literacy, etc., people like Hannity wouldn't have careers, not because they're kicked off of the air. I'm not suggesting anyone kick them off the air, but I'm saying no one would watch it if we had an educated, informed democracy. Now, ultimately, I really don't care if they claim now to have privately doubted the things Trump was spreading. They publicly supported it, and they are part of why there was a public willing to go and do what they did on January 6th. Will there be any consequences for this? Probably not. Tomorrow, Friday is the day. One day membership special, last discount of the year, last opportunity to participate in the membership special for the year. Your first month payment is going to be donated and doubled. We are working with a charity who I will name tomorrow because they, they told us it's a problem for them if we name them in advance. We're entering into a marketing agreement and it can be a problem for them as a 501c3. But many of you I know know which charity it is. One of the most effective ways to actually help people around the world is to give them cash. Uh, something like 98% of donated funds get to people when you just send them cash and let them figure out what they need. So tomorrow, if you're on my mailing list, you're going to get an email and it's going to tell you how to sign up at a discount. Your first month's payment, we're going to donate and then we're going to double it up to the first $15,000. Really great opportunity to both get a membership, help us by getting access to the bonus show. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. And we are helping other people. So get on my mailing list at davidpackman.com tomorrow morning, maybe late morning, maybe early afternoon. You'll get an email telling you how to avail yourself of this fantastic special. I love reading. I read every day. No matter how I arrange my schedule, I never have enough time to read all the books that I want, which is why Blinkist has been such an important part of my life for years now. Our sponsor Blinkist is the app that takes thousands of nonfiction books, boils them down into an explainer that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes, which includes all the most important takeaways from the book. With Blinkist, I can absorb the essence of 15 different books in an afternoon so I can quickly gather insights from all sorts of perspectives, make connections, have those kind of aha moments that don't happen so easily, which is why I feel enriched when I use Blinkist. Blinkist also summarizes episodes of popular podcasts into 15 minute explainers. And with the Blinkist Connect feature, 
my girlfriend and I can share one account, share books, podcasts with each other, talk about them on the go. And don't forget, Blinkist makes the perfect holiday gift. My audience can try Blinkist free for seven days and get 25% off after that. Go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you nerd wallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to nerd wallet's smart money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Good habits have to be sustainable in order to become habits. It has to be something you'll actually do. And when it comes to nutrition, some people have hours to plan out every meal, their exact vitamin intake. I'm not doing any of that. I don't have the time. Here's what's sustainable for me. I start my day with just a single scoop of AG one from Athletic Greens. It gives me the entire day's worth of the 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and probiotics I want from whole food sources. It's just simple. It's just one scoop of AG one. I get all the nutrients I want. I don't have to do any math, use my protractor, my TI 83 or take a bunch of different capsules and pills. It's not some kind of wacky supplement making a bunch of crazy claims. You know, I would not promote something like that. AG one is just a simple product that does what it says it does. It gives you the daily nutrients and vitamins you likely want vitamin A, C, E, magnesium, zinc, potassium in one simple scoop. You keep your body nourished. You'll also get a free year supply of vitamin D, which I take in the winter, plus five free travel packs at athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. That's athleticgreens.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Well, it begins. Donald Trump paid zero in taxes in 2020 claimed a five million dollar refund. And the big picture of Trump's taxes that has come out based on a report we have, we don't yet have the tax returns, but we have a report about the tax returns from the House Ways and Means Committee is just about everything that we suspected, everything that we suspected. And we're going to talk about it. So let's start with the big picture data. Let's look at Trump's income taxable income and taxes paid over the last six years. In 2015, Trump reported an income loss of nearly thirty two million dollars paid, uh, had zero taxable income and paid six hundred and forty thousand dollars in taxes. In 2016, Trump says he lost thirty one million dollars, had zero taxable income and paid seven hundred fifty dollars, not seven hundred fifty thousand, seven hundred fifty dollars in taxes. 2017, Trump claimed negative income of $13 million, paid $750 in taxes. In 2018, Trump claimed a taxable income of $23 million and paid about a million in taxes on that. 2019, Trump claimed about $3 million in taxable income and paid a little over 100K in taxes. And then in 2020, Trump reported a loss of nearly $5 million and paid 0.0, .0 in federal taxes 
claiming a refund of five point forty seven million dollars. There's a good CNBC write up called read how much Trump paid or didn't pay in taxes each year. Uh, it outlines the numbers that I just mentioned with a number of other elements, including um, that the tax returns we were ultimately going to get are redacted and it may actually still be difficult to figure out how Trump got to these negative income claims, et cetera. Um, the most important thing that I think is, imp is is worth mentioning here is that most of this stuff is almost certainly legal. And what we're really getting to here is the failure of the IRS, despite all these claims that the IRS is predatory and they've got all these armed people, which they really did. They have very few armed people and it's not a big deal that some of the people are armed, despite all the claims about the IRS. The IRS really has failed us, not even auditing Trump in his required automatic audit that presidents get until they caught wind that Richard Neal in the House Ways and Means Committee was trying to obtain these tax returns. Then they said, oh, we'd better do that audit on Trump, which we were supposed to have done already for several years. So a few different aspects to this. Is it possible that Trump's taxes will expose crimes? Absolutely. They look like they would be along the fraud lines, stating different asset values for the same assets, depending on whether he's trying to avoid property taxes or personal taxes versus get a loan using those assets as collateral. We already suspect. And in fact, we know based on what happened, the, the ruling with Trump's uh, uh, business of uh, 17 guilty counts, I guess it was two weeks ago. We already know that that was done at the business level, almost certainly being done at the personal level. The taxes will help to build that case. Are there potential national security issues as a result of uh, some of the people Trump is in league with? Absolutely. The, the tax returns could very well expose that. But what's really important to understand is that Trump's not the only rich guy using the tax code in this way and widely speaking, avoiding uh, IRS scrutiny that would be appropriate for the uh, relaxed application of the tax law that Trump and people like him use. So this is a story about Trump, but it's also a story about the tax code and a story about the IRS. Now, one question that you may have is how do you go negative close to one hundred million dollars over five years in income and yet still live the lifestyle that Trump lives with day to day expenses being so lavish and expensive, the private plane, all these different things. If you lose 30 million in a year, how do you also have a private plane and all this stuff? The answer is that you are asset rich. You are asset rich and you can also we don't fully know because we don't have the full tax returns yet, but you can borrow against the assets to have money with which to live that lavish lifestyle. And again, it is not unique to Trump. If anything good will come of this, it's that the Trump tax returns will expose the mechanisms that many rich people use in order to live lavish lifestyles, but pay almost no taxes or in some cases, no, cases, no taxes at all. You tell lenders that your assets are appreciating dramatically. And then they'll give you girthy, huge loans against those assets, which you can then use to live your lavish lifestyle. You tell the IRS these very same assets are worth nothing. I lost money on these assets. Let me take a loss on them. Give me a tax refund. That's very generally speaking the name of the game. Then you live off of the loans. You use the lot, the lies to the IRS to claim a negative income while you're actually making millions. And then you get a tax refund as well.
Now, if uh, uh, Donald Trump is actually as rich as he claims to be, these tax returns don't really make it look like Trump is super rich. If Trump is really as rich as he claims to be, there's almost certain certainly criminal level of fraud and avoidance that's going on here. Um, the other possibility is Trump isn't actually nearly as rich as he claims to be. And we may or may not find that out. The reason Trump clearly fought so hard to keep his financial records from becoming public is because he seems to be the fraud. He seems to be not not quite or nearly as rich as he claims to be doing really sketchy stuff with asset values. We've given you the full list before, but the really important takeaway is it's not just Trump doing this stuff. And there's a question as to whether it's the tax code or the enforcement. That's the problem. And I want to talk about the IRS component next. One of the major revelations of the Trump tax returns has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It actually has to do with the IRS. And there's a really good article in the Daily Beast by Sean Wu called We Haven't Seen Trump's Taxes Yet, But It's Clear the IRS Failed America. The IRS is required to conduct audits of the president and vice president while they're in office. But Trump apparently got a pass. We'll link to this article in the description for the YouTube video that we're going to put up. But let's talk about the big picture here. The IRS didn't even audit the president who's supposed to be audited as a matter of, of automatic principle. It's supposed to be mandatory audit of the president. And as you zoom out, you find yet another one of these projection hypocrisy logic pretzels that the right often gets itself into. They complain about the IRS. The IRS is too big and the IRS is cracking down too much on the wealthy and the IRS is politically biased and going after the conservatives, even though we know that that's actually that that was an Obama era pseudo scandal, which has been completely debunked. And they say we're for law and order. And yet what we see is they never want to fully fund the IRS and they seem perfectly happy or at least indifferent to the fact that the IRS isn't even really doing the minimum. It's almost like they don't really want rich people and in particular rich conservatives to have to follow the rules predating this specific incident. Think back. The IRS has a history of discrimination and unequal enforcement, especially against marginalized communities and small business owners. We could also look at the ongoing issues with the IRS's outdated and error prone systems, which for average taxpayers just make it really difficult to get your taxes done. People often end up going to paid services, even though there are often free services available, depending on your income. The confusion and the frustration that the IRS continues to put taxpayers through average taxpayers combined with the tax software lobby, which is very strong create a situation where for many of the average taxpayers with average incomes, it's both more expensive and more complicated and frustrating and convoluted to file their taxes than it has to be. While meanwhile, the very rich and the privileged take advantage of all sorts of different mechanisms to often end up paying a dramatically lower effective tax rate than people with significantly lower incomes. That's a failure of the IRS and of the elected officials that dictate tax policy and manage the IRS. And then when you think about what is this really done, 
the IRS has played a major role in enabling corruption and abuses of power by the wealthy and powerful by turning a blind eye to what is. And again, we tax avoidance and evasion of I believe avoidance is legal, whereas evasion is not. There's a gray area there in terms of the spirit of, of a lot of these laws, if not the letter by turning a blind a blind eye to it and failing to even adequately audit and investigate high income people and corporations. They are allowing the wealthy to buy their way out of paying their fair share above and beyond what the tax code is even trying to achieve. So this is the type of stuff that erodes trust and faith in government. And meanwhile, they want to tell you, oh, Biden wants to double the size of the IRS and arm everyone when the truth is that there's fifty five thousand IRS people expected to retire over the next 10 years. Fifty five thousand of the new hires are just to replace people that are retiring. That just gets us to where we are now in terms of their arming the IRS. The IRS has a small law enforcement division. So does Amtrak. So does the MTA in New York City. It's not really a big deal. It's not actually an authoritarian police state crackdown. They want to focus on that when the truth is the IRS is dramatically undersized and underpowered. And that's really what we're learning from the Trump tax return story. An insanely sweaty Donald Trump has delivered a visibly confused statement on immigration. I guess this is his campaign, you know, for a guy who said Biden's a loser for running a campaign from his basement, even though Trump lost to the guy running a campaign from his basement. Trump now, I guess this is his campaign, putting to get filming in a very hot room where he's sweating and talking about issues he doesn't understand. Here is Trump's latest statement put out yesterday about immigration. Far more illegal immigrants. Oh, and that that volume is out, uh, humiliatingly low. Here we go. Let's let's start it over. Far more illegal immigrants have entered the United States in the last two years than at any time in American history and by a massive margin. Now, if that is true, what Trump is talking about is we've caught more people. Now, if you're catching them, aren't you doing a good job as far as Trump is concerned? Mm, confusing. We've never seen anything like it. Our country is under invasion. Nothing has dramatically changed on immigration since Trump left and Biden came in other than there was a temporary slowdown on movement of people due to the pandemic. And that has eased. But policy wise, almost nothing has changed. Days ago, 16,000 illegal aliens were encountered crossing the border in a single 48 hour period. Now, understand, by the way, the jump cuts because Trump can't string together more than a sentence at a time are bizarre. Remember what Trump means by encountered is apprehended, apprehended. That sounds like the Border Patrol under Biden is doing a pretty good job by Trump's own standards. A colossal migrant caravan recently poured across the Rio Grande and into the streets of El Paso, Texas, and the people and the police didn't know what to do about it. It is truly a massive invasion. Any form of amnesty now would be a catastrophe. It rewards Joe Biden's lawlessness and it rewards the criminal cartels and it rewards everyone who has broken the laws of our nation. And again, the first priority on amnesty 
is people who have not broken the law, kids, individuals who were brought here when they were legally minors. We're talking about DACA. It's low hanging fruit. We should deal with it. We could deal with it. They don't want to do it because they've never done anything to our country like they're doing right now. Our country is being poisoned. Remember, our border is not open because of. By the way, dehumanizing language. People are poisoning the country. They are so filthy that they are. It's it's a poison. Insufficient resources or legal authorities. Our border is open because Joe Biden has ordered it to be open. Understand that there is no such policy that Biden has enacted because Biden has broken the law and torn it into shreds. He has shredded our system and he's destroying our country. Biden inherited a flawless deportation system that was working like never before in our history. We never did so well on the border as we were doing just a short time ago. Under now, the understand that the deportation system Trump's talking about is the use of Title 42 to more quickly deport people. That is on the basis of covid being a global emergency. Trump wants you to believe covid wasn't really a big deal and and all these red state governors were right to do nothing about it. But it was also such a big deal that you needed an expedited removal process for migrants. Wait, how can both be true? Was covid an emergency or was it not? Trump administration giving Biden more resources will simply translate to even more releases because that's really what they have in mind. All right. So none of this is true. And again, for a guy who ridiculed Biden for campaigning from his basement, Trump's campaign in the five to six weeks since he announced has been to sit in a hot room and record sweaty videos. It doesn't sound particularly good. And by the way, Biden's polling was much better than Trump seems to be right now. We'll have this clip on our Instagram, which you can find at David Pakman show wild and wacky stuff. Plastic is everywhere we look and not enough is being done about it. One hundred billion plastic bags are used and thrown away every year. But you can help make a change. Our sponsor, Hold On, makes trash and kitchen bags that are heavy duty, plant based, non toxic and 100 percent home compostable, which means they break down in weeks rather than decades. They don't fill up our landfills. They don't pollute our oceans. Their zip seal kitchen bags come in sandwich or gallon bag sizes to fit your needs. And the best part about hold on bags is they work. I use them at home. They're just as good as all of the name brand bags. You fill them up, they stretch and they don't break. Everybody uses trash bags and freezer bags. If you care about the planet, you can do something by using hold on bags instead. And it's a really easy way to do your part. Go shop plant based bags to replace single use plastics all over your home. You'll save 20 percent when you go to holdonbags.com slash Pacman and use the code Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Today, we're going to be speaking with Garrett Bruhag, who's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Rochester, working at the Laboratory of Laser Energetics, the largest university laser lab and one of the only places in the world that can do laser driven fusion experiments. Garrett, really great having you on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to come on, David. So I want to talk about this recent uh, breakthrough that's made a lot of news in the field of fusion energy. Before we even get to that, 
let's maybe develop an understanding of what, what we mean when we say fusion energy. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's sort of straightforward to understand. OK, you can take something like coal and you burn it and then you can use that heat to do different things. I think many people can understand that or you burn gasoline in your car. When we're talking about fusion energy, what, what exactly is it? What are we talking about? What's the mechanism? Yeah, so fusion is one of the two primary forms of nuclear energy that we can uh, acquire. Right now, what we do at, all over the world, in fact, what's keeping my lights on right now is uh, fission, where we split very heavy things like uranium and utilize the heat to boil water, turn a turbine, and make power to power our homes. Fusion is what powers the sun. Uh, it's also what powers our largest thermonuclear weapons. It's where we take very small atoms like helium and force them together. That generates an enormous amount of energy. And we have never been able to do a controlled, sustained fusion chain reaction on Earth without a thermonuclear weapon until last week or two weeks ago. So fusion is the coming together of atoms in order to produce uh, is it is it accurate to say to produce heat? Uh, it produces several forms of energy, but everything will eventually just get converted to heat to boil water or heat up gases or something like that. It's it's kind of the the old adage that no matter what humanity does, we eventually boil water. Right. OK. So <laughs> uh, in other words, fission is the separation of atoms, whereas fusion is the combination. That's the that's sort of the fundamental difference we're talking about. Yes. So the breakthrough, which you alluded to at Lawrence Livermore National Lab in California, it's being described as a huge advancement towards nuclear fusion. What what exactly is it that happened? Yeah, so it, it is a really big scientific achievement. It's a huge advancement. It's been the, the goal essentially ever since we discovered fusion to uh, get a fusion chain reaction uh, in the laboratory. So humanity has generated fusion chain reactions. We did it first in the 1950s with the IV Mike thermonuclear weapon, and now it's some of our scariest uh, weapons. But that is not useful. That is just a, a capability we have. We want fusion on a small scale, controllable, um, so that we can make clean sources of power. And that has been very, very challenging to do. And what Lawrence Livermore National Labs did was they generated a self-sustained fusion chain reaction in the lab. No nuclear bombs, no gigantic destruction. Everything was controlled and done and is repeatable. And that has never been done before. So it is it is a huge advancement. It's kind of like a Kitty Hawk moment. The airplane has finally taken off. What would it look like to use this technology to generate the energy that humans use for day to day lives. What what would a, do we know what a fusion power plant would look like? Yeah, there's a lot of different designs using lots of different technologies. There's a there's a huge plethora of ideas for how to use fusion once you can get ignition, which is what Livermore did. Um, for for your average person, it's going to look just like a, a fission power plant. It'll be just a big chunk of concrete that will make an enormous amount of power for the amount of land it takes up. There will be no CO2 and you might see some clouds coming out from the cooling water and that would be about it. So with with our traditional is, is it fair to say that our traditional nuclear power plants, the, these are what we would call fission nuclear power plants. Yes, accurate. they split atoms and thus they do fission at those plants. One of the 
concerns that exists is what do you do with the spent fuel and how long it lasts, et cetera. Now, I've said before, mm -hmm. I think that those who are basing their opinion on nuclear fission based on 40 year old plants are probably not accurately assessing them based on what modern plants would look like. But putting that issue aside for a second, you still have this issue of the spent fuel in a fusion plant. What are the source materials and what's left over after the fact? So the source material is some special forms of hydrogen, but it's something that's in the glass of water I'm drinking from right now called deuterium. So that's heavy hydrogen. It's very common. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's used in all sorts of applications, primarily nuclear, but uh, even in medical tracers. And we have effectively an infinite supply of it. Um, it would, you know, the sun will be long burnt out before we ever burn through the deuterium supply. Uh, the type of fusion that Lawrence Livermore did, which is the quote unquote easiest fusion is still very, very hard, uh, is called deuterium tritium. So the other input is a special type of radioactive hydrogen called tritium. We have to breed that via lithium. So from the perspective of an outside observer, ignoring all the science, the plant will eat deuterium, which we just get from water, and a small amount of lithium. Now we, we get concerns about lithium supplies because of electric cars and things like that. We're talking like 100 kilos of lithium a year for a power plant that could power a major city. It's not a wow. it's not a major concern. It's just like with fission where the total amount of material going in and out is just minuscule. There is no direct nuclear waste. There's no spent fuel from fusion. Um, it just makes helium. But it also makes an absurd number of neutrons, which is a type of radiation, and it will make the inside of the reactor radioactive. There is no way to get around radioactive waste anytime we do any kind of nuclear activities, including medicine. Every hospital generates a large flux of radioactive waste, but it's a benefit. It's cancer treatment and therapies and um, all this good stuff. And we know how to handle the waste from uh, these sorts of systems. Fusion would not generate the very long-lived spent fuel. As you pointed out, we can handle the spent fuel from fission, but ignoring that, fusion won't generate it. We're talking things more like 100 years of radioactive lifetime, and there's ideas for how to even shorten that. Um, so that that is one of the big advantages that people point to with fusion. What are the um, risks of this technology applied as a power plant, for example, to power a city, as you mentioned, what what can go wrong? And if something goes wrong, what happens? Um, in some sort of kind of absurd worst case scenario, you could have radioactive material released to the environment. It would be small. It would be the impact would be very low. The general um, issues would be things to people at the plant, very similar to what's happened with um, fission failures. You, If you worked at the plant, you'd be worried. You might have to fight a fire or something like that. Often fusion is fusion power plants are envisioned to use very interesting, weird coolants. So you imagine like flowing super hot liquid lithium. I'm not so afraid of the radiation. I'm afraid of flowing liquid lithium getting mm. into the air because that will make a very nasty fire. Um, but these are all you know, the, the fusion is going to be regulated just like fission. It's going to be very, very tightly controlled. And everyone takes this job very seriously as to how it would be put together. I wouldn't, I, I would be more than willing, just like I'm willing to live right now, right next to a fission plant. I wouldn't have any concern living next to a fusion plant. Right now, if my understanding is still accurate, 
it takes somewhere between six and 10 years to get a new nuclear fission plant up and running. What is the timeline? And it maybe it's hard to say because we don't yet exactly know what these would look like. But is there a different timeline for fusion energy plants? There is hope that it could be sped up, but I honestly think the sort of things that would speed up a fusion plant construction will speed up fission construction as well. Mm. A lot of the issues that we see with fission come down to just some of the dumbest stuff like pouring concrete and laying steel. Uh, fusion requires a lot more complex equipment too. So it's going to be many iterations of learning how to build these power plants before we ever get good at it. Um, it's not something I would expect to see even even if everything was ready to go tomorrow, I wouldn't expect to see power plants just going up left and right without massive, honestly, government support. You have to look at how places like France did their large fission build outs. You just have to throw tons of money and personnel at it. When you um, look at something like or, or let me put it a different way, when you talk about this being difficult, fusion being difficult. What does that really mean in the sense that as an outsider, in my mind, it seems to me that once you figure out what you need in terms of equipment and you do it, you do it. Now you can replicate it. Is is there some chance to it where you can do the exact same thing and it only works some of the time at this point? So we are on um, we have just gotten ignition at Lawrence Livermore. Arguably, we got it last year, but we don't need to quibble about all of that. What it is, is we're, we're there now, but we're only just barely getting there. And if you've ever played around with something like a, like doing a science experiment um, where you're just figuring it out, there's often mistakes and issues and it takes, you just kind of have to do something over and over and over again to learn how to do it better. But by difficult, what I'm actually getting at with fusion is that the conditions needed to make a fusion reaction happen are very, very, very hard to reach. Mm. And the equipment required is very expensive and complicated. When we're comparing to other sources of power, like let's just take fission for an easy example. You take a rock that we dig out of the ground, turn it into a metal, stick it into water, and the water gets hot. For fusion, we have to have some of the largest lasers in the world hitting little tiny targets or massive, incredible magnets that there's just nothing to compare to. Now, that's not to say we can't get good at that. I mean, jet engines used to be one of the most complicated and incredible things on the planet that only militaries could afford. And now all of us can ride on a jet aircraft. The aircraft themselves used to be something that almost no one could build. But it's, we are at the, like I said, we're kind of at the Kitty Hawk moment. We just got things to go. We're not getting 747s tomorrow. If but that's we, not um, to say they won't happen. If we zoom out a little bit, the feeling seems to be growing that in even as little as 50 years, we're going to look at the status quo of cars driving around, burning gasoline, pulling oil out of the ground, burning coal. This 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 is going to seem crazy, for lack of a better term. Right. I mean, it seems as though what we are it, the the forms of energy we're using now are going to seem almost primitive compared to what is apparently on the horizon. Is that the right assessment? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we already have a lot of options that make uh, what's currently powering most of the world look primitive, right? We can we can already utilize things like uh, nuclear fission. We have, you know, good photovoltaic stuff like that. This, the sci-fi technology is here and it's only getting better. 
when people say that fusion power is the holy grail of clean energy, this is based on emissions specifically, or are there other aspects to this too? The claim, the reasoning behind that, and I'm not all, I'm not entirely sold on that statement. Okay. Um, I, I think it's, I've heard it. I've heard it plenty of times. I think it comes from a kind of science fiction optimism around fusion um, and and a, a lack of understand, or maybe not a lack, but a naivete over some of the other sources. Fusion is emissions free. This, the fuel supply is effectively infinite. Like I said, it's it doesn't matter. There's so much. It's it. We don't even need to worry about it. Um, and th those are the big benefits on top of the lower radioactive uh, waste inventory. But what I just described is basically advanced fission as well. And so I think that's kind of where the, it doesn't always click. It's this idea that if we got to fusion, then all our problems are solved. But that's not really true. One, like I said, it's going to be hard to get these things out and cheap and effective and reliable. But we have options now that can reach a lot of those goals. Fusion, in my mind, is more filling in this uh, large portfolio of various energy options. Each of them have benefits uh, and you know drawbacks, and it's not just this science fiction utopia. Last thing I want to ask you: What's the next step? Is it just to repeat this very same thing that happened, or or is there some clear advanced next step that we go to? So the immediate next step is to repeat and get more fusion yield. We think due to how ignition works, it's like striking a match. Once you can get the match to strike, you can get more and more fire. We think we can get a lot more fusion out of the Livermore facility. So they're going to work on that as hard as possible. But there's already designs for how to build the next laser facilities uh, to push this forward. And there's other fusion concepts that can that are being worked on, other reactors. But everyone can use the fact that we lit the match to study how that match is lit. Right. And to, to build these next step machines. I expect we'll see many machines reaching ignition in the next 10 years. And then we can really start to evaluate what's the best way to move forward for power. Or Super things like space propulsion. Which is a whole other aspect to, to it also. Yeah, that that uh, relates to the idea of going to Mars and connects with so many other things that are going on. Fascinating stuff. We've been speaking with Garrett Bruhag, who's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Rochester. Garrett, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Let's face it, the holiday season can be a stressful time for anyone, even a stressor on relationships, in-laws dividing time, mismatched expectations around gifts. Our sponsor, Paired, is the app that makes it easy to maintain a feeling of connection with your partner during this crazy time of year. You and your partner download the app, you pair together, and every day, Paired gives the two of you questions or quizzes, games to have fun, stay emotionally connected, deepen your conversations. And all of the exercises were developed by academic psychologists and expert relationship therapists as well. My girlfriend and I have been using Paired quite a bit lately. It's fun, especially with the baby these days. It's more important than ever for us to find quality time. And Paired is really the perfect way to spark that with funny moments, meaningful conversations, and we can use paired on the go. 
Don't let end-of-year stressors get in the way of you and your partner enjoying some connecting. Paired makes it simple, and giving your significant other a Paired subscription is a great last-minute holiday gift. Head over to Paired.com slash Pacman for a seven-day free trial and 25% off a subscription. The link is down below. All right, I think you're going to like this. Did Carrie Lake hire the worst lawyers in the world for this completely bogus attempt to steal the Arizona gubernatorial election, which she, of course, lost? Before I show you the lawyers, remember what Carrie Lake said yesterday. We looked at this clip yesterday where she was talking about hiring lawyers. Our true patriots. We had attorneys who did walk away because the left is threatening them with their ability to make a living and practice law. And some of our attorneys said, look, I got mouths to feed. I can't do this case. I don't want to be sanctioned. So I, I really love I, at the, I got to a point where I said, I'll take anybody. We'll take better call Saul to come on in here. Yeah, she'll quite literally allow any lawyer to represent her. So let's get to the chaos. Significant difficulties yesterday for Carrie Lake's legal legal team. They had an issue with their witness list and then they forgot they removed a witness and then they try to call that witness and the judge is like, you told us you weren't calling this person. Look at the level of confusion among these lawyers, not exactly legal geniuses. What happened? What? He's saying that he's not on the list. <laughs> oh, this is the best. <clears throat> So they're shuffling through their paperwork now. Hmm. Where is that list? Who's on the list? They're saying he's not on the he's list. Right the list I'm looking at, Your Honor, does show Aaron Smith designated a witness. If Your Honor wants to give me a few minutes, I can go through my emails and uh, looking at what I was, what the court was given. And I don't know that we provided that list, Your <laughs> Honor. I, mean, I think you followed it. We also I think there was an email communication from uh, plaintiff's counsel. Yeah, not exactly Clarence Darrow, as you can imagine, continued problems then uh, where they now um, it, it just it just it's so bad. Look at this that she works with Betty in getting records from Maricopa County okay. in response to, to FOIA requests, Your Honor. And you've also told me that this was disclosed previously. Yes, I am, Your Honor. Yes. When was it disclosed to? The oh, police? I'm sorry, Your Honor. This last week has been like four months. <laughs> and I, I, if if you want, Your Honor, it's going to take me a good 45 no. minutes to look for our disclosures. You're wait, we stop one second. You're an officer of the court. I'm just asking for your word. If you tell me it was within, I'm the last telling you week, it was disclosed, Your Honor. You're telling me within the last week. Yes, Your Honor. Disclosed to this morning, something like that. Your Honor that I have created on two separate occasions at their request that I give them okay. access to all of our records via a link so they can go online and download them. And I can show this court that I provided them at least two links to do so. Wait a minute. I don't want to waste a bunch more time on this. We've already spent a lot of time on it. I'm just down to the By the, the entire the entire trial, the entire case and hearing is a waste of time. Asked little consideration, which is disclosure. So they're not shocked by this disclosure is different than saying 
here's 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 where all my stuff is. You can dig yeah. it. So the judge explaining to the lawyer why it just doesn't make any sense what they're doing. Then they get into an argument about like an exhibit number. Seventy five, Your Honor. It's uh, your your seventy five R R one. No, it's there's only one number. It's the court's number that we're referring to. Not <laughs> mine, mine, yours, his. It's seventy five, and seventy five is admitted. Understood, Your Honor. I say R one for their bet. Got it. Very good. Seventy five, Your Honor. Yeah. So these are the people that apparently are going to get the Arizona gubernatorial election overturned. So Carrie Lake's choice of lawyers, not particularly good. Let's briefly talk about her choice of experts. I'm going to play for you a brief sample of testimony from Carrie Lake's supposed expert. And this was a guy who was going to help overturn the election or something. And we already looked at how her lawyers don't seem super competent. And then now here is an expert and it all goes bad very, very quickly. Goes in a door number three, goes down to McTech. The much more sensitive tabulators, according to you, it would not count it. It would then go to duplication. It would be duplicated. Then it would be tabulated. Is that your understanding of the elections in Maricopa County? Your technical description is not possible. <laughs> I apologize. I wasn't attempting to give a technical description. I was just saying what happens based on your testimony. So you're saying in that scenario, that voter who wanted to vote for Carrie Lake would never have that vote tabulated. Is that your testimony? My testimony is that right. a shrink to fit setting would rely at the application level, which would reside on the EMS which Mr. Garrett just testified sends the print job to the printer. Therefore, aren't you guys understanding this? It can't be accidental as all the employees that man the EMS are trained. Whether it's accidental or inadvertent. I gave the two please, options. Sir. Ask, please allow me to answer the, ask the question. I'll allow you to answer. Whether it's accidental or inadvertent, if the shrink to fit 19 inch ballot has to be duplicated, once it's duplicated, would it be tabulated <laughs> to your understanding? There are two technical ways that that image would be there. None of the ways you exist, it's not, not even possible. That's it's not, not possible, your honor. So what a waste of time. This is what courts are, are now being bogged down with. Um, here's another moment where the witness says that Mike Pillow has been, I guess, paying for some of his travel. It, it, everything about this is crazy. That event held in Missouri, Missouri. And was your travel from Alabama to Missouri paid for by someone other than yourself? Yes, sir. And who paid for that? That would, I would assume would be Mike Lindell. <laughs> All their travel was arranged. He asked me to speak at the event and I spoke. Yeah. So the expert is funded by pillow and speaking at Mike pillow events, uh, disastrous experts, disastrous lawyers. Carrie Lake every day is claiming like they're getting major legal victories in, in these hearings. They are not. Katie Hobbs will be the governor of Arizona. Mark my words. I'm not a betting man, but that's something I would bet on. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. 
This caller has a quite frankly great suggestion about tomorrow's charity membership drive. Take a listen. Hello, David, sir. This is Liberty calling you from Connecticut. Beautiful. And I have a question. When you have the new member drive and the first month is going to be, you're going to match donations to yes. the charity. And I don't know the name, but I know about the charity. What I would like to suggest is if you have either a phone or on, on your site, an option for those of us who are already members right. to donate what would be equivalent to one month membership fee yes. for that same purpose to be doubled and donated. We've got it. Okay. If you were already a member tomorrow, when we do the end of the year charity membership drive, you can get as many memberships as you want for other people by checking the box that says this is a gift. The payment will be donated. It will be doubled and the membership will be given to someone on our membership waiting list, which you can find at davidpackmancom slash free membership. We're doing all of it and you can you can quite literally give the membership to anyone you want. Well, it's better if you know how to spell the person's name, which I don't know that Trump did when he started reading those names. But you can send the membership to anyone you want or you can just leave that blank and we'll give it away. We've got like a thousand people waiting for memberships. OK, bonus show today. We're going to talk about Mike Lee's new obsession with banning porn. We're going to talk about the permanent disappearance of daily room cleanings at hotels since the pandemic, good or bad. We'll talk about it. Um, and we will talk about American self-reported mental health at a new low. Not good. Not good. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. Get instant access to the world's famous bonus show.